What is going on? This is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Dr. Jared Sinclair. Dr. Sinclair is the founder of the Sinclair Performance Institute and is a renowned expert in performance improvement, organizational development, and capacity building. Boasting over two and a half decades of leadership and advisory experience, Dr. Sinclair holds distinguished qualifications, including a doctorate in organizational change and leadership and an MBA in financial management. A proud combat veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps, he has spearheaded specialized operational teams in areas such as intelligence, vice and narcotics, hostage negotiations, and internal affairs investigations. Globally recognized as a capacity building subject matter expert, he has enriched organizations worldwide with specialized training. Dr. Sinclair champions the transformative SMAC philosophy, which we dive deep into during this episode, which is all about bolstering organizational efficiency, helping to guide change and enhance leadership. Away from his primary profession, he's the voice behind the Performance Collective podcast, chairs a San Diego nonprofit charter school board, and generously offers pro bono consulting to nonprofits around the country. Just a few of the golden takeaways Jared shares in this episode are leadership lessons from the Marine Corps, prioritizing accountability in teams, the art of contextual communication, and a deep dive into the holistic smack coaching framework. So without further ado, this is me and Dr. Jared Sinclair. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Jared, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, TJ, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. Yeah, man, it's awesome to have you here. And I guess question for you, ready to talk about leadership and see where this conversation takes us? Yeah, I have no clue what direction you want to go, but I, I'm, uh, I'm certain we can get some quality content for your listeners here. So. I, I have Good. no doubt, man. So a little bit of background. You have over 25 years of experience leading and advising teams. You you hold a doctorate in organizational change and leadership. You served in the Marine Corps. Thank you for your service, by the way. And you've led specialized operational teams involved in intelligence collection, vice and narcotics, hostage negotiation, a lot of really, really big and important things. So I would love for you to just talk a little bit about your military experience and how it shaped your perspective and really just your your views on organizational change and your leadership philosophy. Yeah, so I, I spent 10 years in the Marine Corps right out of high school. Um, you know, if you're, if you're any way familiar with the Marine Corps, you know that Marines are expected to lead at the lowest levels. So all the way, you know, all the way down to that first, that first experience at boot camp, they're teaching you about leadership traits and how to carry on the mission beyond um, the the fact that you might not have formal leadership in place. So mm-hmm. that spanned my whole career. Uh, the 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 leadership philosophy of the Marine Corps is very important because it it 
spreads leadership responsibility and uh, capability across the organization. So certainly, the, you know, it's a hierarchical, hierarchical military organization, but leadership is really spread out and expected upon everybody. So that really created the framework for, for where I wanted to go moving forward. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is accountability. Accountability of for me personally, but also accountability for my team and accountability in the sense that we are responsible to do one thing, and that's to carry out the mission um, and figure out a way to do it. So that being said, uh, that spanned my entire career, that leadership philosophy. Uh, after that, I went to work for a local municipality in San Diego County. I worked, led teams all the way from training to use of force training um, internal affairs investigations, vice narcotics, um, multiple patrol units, um, worked closely with some of the task force, task force here in San Diego. And through that, I learned that the military leadership or the leadership that was taught to me in the Marine Corps, which is get the job done, mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily translate always into the civilian space, which is fine. But that's a learning point for me when I transitioned onto the civilian side, still in government but on the civilian side. I think from that perspective, on the civilian side, it took me from a point of getting things done to getting them done, but it doesn't have to be done right now, right? It's not emergent. Not everything's an emergency. Now, certainly it's not life or death. Perfect. Right, yeah. Well, sometimes it was. <laughs> sometimes but, it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oftentimes, you know, with the administrative tasks, it wasn't, which is an, an important point too. Okay. If you don't mind, we can go down that road. I would love to, with, yeah, with, please. With the life... With the life or death stuff, you know, we talk about servant leadership nowadays. It's kind of like the the hot the hot item. We want to we want people to feel comfortable with their leadership. We want people to feel supported. We want people to have that space and those resources needed to do the job that we're asking them to do. That's fine, in a sterilized sanitary environment, right? When you get into environments where things need to be done right now, servant leadership doesn't necessarily all, always work. It has to be very commanding and very direct and very concise and very, um, I wouldn't even say strategic. It just needs to be done. Um, so depending on the context that we find ourselves in, the leadership uh, persona that we take on as leaders or managers should change. It should change in proportion to the job and the environment, the job that we're doing in the environment that we're operating in. Um, so that was kind of one of the major takeaways with that first pivot. I had a second shift, the second pivot after almost uh, over a decade in the police force where I started consulting for nonprofit organizations. I had gone to grad school. I ultimately wanted to consult organizations and help them improve their performance because that's the direction that I always went. I was always a high achiever. I always moved fast to the ranks. I always took on the hardest responsibilities, the hardest tasks, um, things of that nature. So I wanted to use those strengths and that natural kind of proclivity to push uh, to, to help others. So what I started doing, I went to grad school. I started consulting in the nonprofit space, doing pro bono consulting for the nonprofit mm -hmm. organizations. And when you dive into that nonprofit space, oftentimes it's very much, um, revolved around interpersonal relationships and, and how good relationships are with people. It's not necessarily how good you are at your job, but maybe how, who you know and who can help you out and um, how people feel within that environment. So that was a big shift for me because it no longer came down to how good I was at my job. It came down to how well can I rally people around a cause mm -hmm. and to make them feel comfortable doing it. 
Um, so again, we get we get into the the tactic and the and the strategy of leadership within that context, and it changed again. Um, so I would say those were the two biggest pushes for me, or the three biggest pivots for me from my own leadership philosophy. Uh, I really tried to be not a chameleon, but I tried to be appropriate for the context and the mission at hand at that point. Yeah, I like that you bring up the example of a chameleon because as you were talking, the word that that came out to me was just like adaptability. And I'm sure your military experience obviously taught you how to adapt to very challenging and, and different situations all the time. And it sounds like that was one thing that translated really well in the civilian world was being able to adapt to these different arenas. And as you said, not all of the principles translated, but many did. And I'm curious in terms of specifically like performance and capacity building in mm -hmm. the civilian world and the work that you do now, what are some of the the lessons that you learned along the way through your military experience, through police or anything at all that, that really helped you build up that philosophy and, and help people in those two specific areas? Yeah. So I spent a lot of time, as you can imagine, watching people, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's on a surveillance operation or doing a drug buy or doing a negotiation with somebody on a bridge, you pay attention to human behavior yeah. and you really start to hone in on what people um, are motivated by. So in when I went back to grad school, like I mentioned previously, I dove into that capacity building and that performance management space, right? When people say performance management, they think, oh, that's a yucky word, something HR does to make sure that we're all doing our jobs. 100% is what they should be doing, right? That's why we're in business is to, is to make money. So, um, but that being said, I, I dissected all of the research that I could find during that time. And I kind of paired it with what I was doing and what I had seen in my professional careers and where I wanted to go forward. And I came up with a framework um, that kind of encapsulates, it's a wraparound framework that we still use to this day with, with our coaching clients or the organizations that we work with. And it's, it's I call it the SMAC philosophy. It's mm -hmm. an S-M-A-C-K. So those five things, the S, the M, the A, the C, and the K represents, the S is for systems. So what system or environment are you operating in? Um, what systems are you using? um, within the space that you're in. So is there, is there a CRM? Is there actual, like a formal reporting system? Like the system can be anything. It's just a flow of work, right? So mm -hmm. that's the system. The M is motivation. So we look at the motivation, not only as the individuals, but perhaps as the team or the motivation of clients to take on our service, right? To pay us for our services. So that the M is very important. A is this big old nasty word that people don't like is accountability. Accountability. Yeah. Yep. And it's interesting because we were coming off of COVID here. And I actually spoke with somebody earlier this week regarding this. And COVID kind of had a dip in accountability. It kind of created that in a lot of the organizations that we see that are requesting leadership development now for their folks, where we have these leaders that kind of didn't have to be leaders for a lot of time. And then the landscape shifted. So getting back to that S the landscape or the system, the environment shifted from a in-person to maybe a hybrid or a fully remote situation. So that changed how accountability works and how people need to be led and how communication needs to happen. So that's the A for accountability. The C is communication. How are we communicating not only internally to our teams and amongst ourselves on the daily or perhaps it's a marketing um, effort? And then how are we communicating externally? 
So when you look at an organization or a team, that wraparound communication, you know, that omnidirectional communication, how are they doing it and where are the gaps in that? And then lastly, we look at knowledge. So knowledge from the sense of we have declarative knowledge, those facts and those figures that we know are, you know, procedural knowledge where, where it's the how to do things, not necessarily what the thing is, but how to do it. And then there's this component of metacognitive knowledge or this reflection component where it's that whole after action concept where we reflect on how we did. We reflect on how things are going, but there's a second step there and that's to develop uh, strategies moving forward, right? So we touch on that, that KP. So with that SMAC framework, I've found that we can overlay it on almost all um, spaces where people meet systems, okay. right? So if you have a, if you have a people, a person, a, a two-man team or a, a thousand person organization working within the constructs of whatever their mission is, we can overlay these five components take a really hard look at them, identify some gaps, and then develop strategies to close those gaps. And when we close those gaps, all of those SMAC components lead to greater performance. So I know that was a lot. No, it's that, that's the crux of it. It's the SMAC philosophy. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. And I, I love the holistic approach to this philosophy. But one of the pieces that stands out to me and is has been very topical lately in a lot of the conversations that I've been having is accountability and really the difference between a functional team and an accountable team and how you can go from one, which you need to be a functional team, but that next level is the accountability piece. And I think yeah. that is where most organizations, most leaders really struggle to be able to cultivate that system and the right approach to create accountability at scale. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that? And are there any, uh, any things that you've learned along the way that have helped you to not only build accountable teams yourself, but help others to create accountability? Yeah. So accountability, you know, accountability is ripe with that, that burden of leadership is what I call it. When you step into a leadership role, you're expected to do certain things that you otherwise wouldn't do. And these don't have to be formal leadership roles. They can be informal leadership roles, you know, peer-to-peer, -peer, mm -hmm. laterally, or even down, right? Or up. Sometimes we have to lead up too, so we can't forget about that. Absolutely. But that discomfort and that willingness to have conversations with people and letting them know, hey, this is the mark and you're not hitting it. It's in, in the literature, they call it this whole provider director role, right? Where the provider is the person providing the service or the one who is responsible, and the director role is that person that's telling that person what to do. So with that comes this discomfort that we have to have as leaders. And it plays directly into to motivation. As leaders, if we're reluctant to confront people uh, on their poor behavior, their poor performance, whatever the case may be, not only are we abdicating our own responsibilities to our organizations or to our businesses, but we're not doing our people a, a service. We're doing them a disservice. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at kind of the motivational frameworks, you look at uh, motivation per se, you can be extrinsically motivated or intrinsically motivated. You can be amotive, which means you don't have any motivation. Mm -hmm. And then you could be, you, your, your motivation can be pretty much autonomous. So when you dive into accountability systems, we can take people through accountability from a place where they are emotive or or extrinsically motive, motivated to a point where now they're doing things on their own because they choose to do them 
They see the value in it. They have expectations that their effort will lead to some sort of positive outcome for them or for the organization. Um, or to a point where this motivation is automated, right? Mm -hmm. Where they just do it to do it. And those are our top performers. Those are the folks that we really want are those people that go out there and just do it. They know what to do. And if they don't, they're going to figure out how to do it. So this whole accountability piece, it's, it's, it's directly tied to, to motivation. It's directly tied to a leader's capacity or ability to be uncomfortable with those conversations and to take on that burden of leadership. When they don't, we have this space now where leaders start getting into burnout. They start yeah. taking on, and what I call it is leadership fatigue. They get fatigued in that leadership role because they've failed to take on that responsibility or that burden of leadership. And what we see in that space is oftentimes leaders will start doing the work that their subordinates or those providers are supposed to do, but they start taking it on because they're afraid to have that conversation with them and hold them accountable. So with that increased workload, obviously leads to burnout. They start to resent the organization or the people that they're supposed to lead. Um, they start having relational issues. They start kind of pulling back and withdrawing, which leads to a reduction in communication or a different type of communication. Maybe it comes mm -hmm. out in aggression and anger. Um, so that accountability piece is so vitally important for leaders, not only to maintain, maintain balance in their organizations and with their teams, but also with themselves because it will directly affect them when their teams aren't performing. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, motivation is such a strong component there. And when you're creating motivation to ultimately create accountability, it's so important to have that shared sense of purpose. What, right. Where are we going and, and how are we all aligned in getting there? And mm -hmm. I'd imagine that is a, a very fundamental and early on lesson that you have to learn in the Marine Corps. And I'm curious if there's any process to that and how the Marines create that shared sense of purpose within you know, everything that you do. Yeah, there was certainly what they called it back when I was in command was commander's intent. Okay. So everybody right now, I would equate that to the vision or the mission statement, mm -hmm. right? Of an organization or of a, a team. So with that commander's intent, because what, what happens when, when there's absence of information with absence of information, people start creating their own dots and creating their own information based off of what they think they should be doing. So in the absence of information, people are free to go do whatever they want, right? Whatever they think, whatever subjective kind of view of the world they have, they're able to go in that direction. So what commander's intent or our vision statements or our mission statements do is providing, uh, it provides us with information in the Marine Corps, it provided us with information that in the absence of communication, because we can't communicate due to a geographical issue, a technological issue. For some reason, we just can't communicate. Those Marines all the way down to the lowest level knew exactly what they needed to do. And that was take the next logical step that was in alignment with the commander's intent, right? And if you're in alignment with your mission statement, your commander's intent, or your vision statement, oftentimes you'll land on your feet. You still might get it wrong, but you're going to be closer than you would be if you just went out on your own and tried to come up with your own philosophy on what you should do. Mm, so good. Creating that vision, creating that mission is so critical. You know, there's, there's a reason why companies have mission statements and value propositions and, and all of this stuff. But I think especially in smaller organizations or when you're just getting started, that gets glossed over. And it's critical to not only have it, but to make sure that it's communicated and known and that your people can 
you know, spit that out verbatim and, and understand what it really means at its core so that you yeah. have that sense of shared purpose and, and where you need to land when things do break down and communication isn't always going to be there. So absolutely. And that's probably a big part of what you're doing. Leading the Sinclair Performance Institute is helping companies really institute uh, or implement this smack philosophy and mm-hmm. dig into how to create accountability and you know exceptional teams. Can you talk a little bit about what what you do at the the institute and and really what your focus is right now here in October of 2023? Yeah, so we're kind of in a phase of growth right now. We we went from like I said several years ago working exclusively for nonprofits to a space where we started working with sub 10 million dollar businesses. And now we're getting into this government contracting space. So the state, federal, county level contracts um that big gap that we tend to be drawn towards right now is that leadership development. Mm-hmm. So whether it's new training for line level leaders, people that just got promoted or managers, maybe, maybe there's a big organizational initiative that's being passed. So we'll assist with that change management process. Um, and that, that might look like leadership development, executive coaching. It might look like curriculum design It might look like change management consulting, where we're actually coming in and looking at that S, that system, to Mm -hmm. determine what can we do within that system? Is the motivation there? Are we communicating appropriately? What are the knowledge components that are affecting motivation, right? So we kind of take that whole SMAC philosophy and overlay it on that change management initiative. Um, And then more exciting, not more exciting, but the most exciting Mm -hmm. thing that we've done recently is we're getting into the dental space. So we started a new line called Performance DDS. And what we're looking at doing is taking those smaller dental businesses, right? Anywhere from 800 to to 3 million. And we're going in and we're overlaying that smack philosophy on them to help these smaller teams of say three to 10 scale to their maximum potential and, you know, eventually exit. So that's where we're headed. Kind of two things there on the radar, two brands, two lines of business, but um, we're grinding and things are picking up. So it's good. Love to hear it. I love to hear it. So specifically for for people that you work with that are stepping into a new leadership role, potentially for the first time, or at least just a new role, what's what's one piece of advice that you think is really critical for people to to learn and understand? Yeah, I would say don't expect, and this was a hard lesson for me, don't expect people to hold themselves accountable to the same level of performance mm-hmm. as you do, because they're different. And for some people staying in the same position for 20 years, doing the same job for 20 years, making the same pay for 20 years is okay. And that's okay. But being, being okay with that being okay was the biggest thing for me to overcome. So that's what I would tell people is meet people where they're at as a leader, provide them with what they need. And then also make sure that you provide accountability and a vision moving forward. And I think those three components, you know, communicating, meeting them where they are, accountability, and providing them with a vision or or a task or a mission moving forward are the three critical components for that. Good advice, for sure. Is there anything that you see or you hear, like commonly dished out advice that people should just ignore, (laughs) either no longer relevant or just wasn't good advice to begin with? Is there anything you see pop up a lot? I do. And as you know, this, this whole kind of Americanized Western culture, you know, you, you be you. Yeah. Right. So we see this everywhere. We see it on social media and whatnot, but you can't always be you. You have to be appropriate for the context that you find yourself in. Yeah. So 
I think, you know, we have, let's, let's look at this recent example from Harvard, right? And I'm going to bring in, I'm going to bring in some current events. I'm not going to offer an opinion one way or the other, but these, okay, these Harvard students were talking about the, the conflict over in Israel, mm-hmm. right? And interestingly, they, they didn't get necessarily the feedback or the response that they were expecting. So you can't always be you, right? It's got to be culturally and, and systemically and, and contextually appropriate. So that that's something that I would I would encourage people to do is make sure that if you get up in front of a group or you're going to coffee with somebody, be appropriate to talk about the things in a way and to present yourself in a way that that person is going to be receiving them, right? Because yeah. it's not about you always. It's about that other person as well. Yeah. Learn to read the room, do your homework, especially yeah. uh, if you're going to get up in front of a, an audience that you're not frequently speaking with. You don't know what what you should be saying or, or how you should be showing up. You got to do the do the work to prepare and really yeah. understand what you should do in mm-hmm. those situations. So a little bit of a flip here. You, you host sure. the Performance Collective podcast, and I'm mm-hmm. always curious to dig into people's stories around starting a podcast. So what inspired you to to create the pod and and what will people learn from it when they click the link that we're going to drop in the show notes to all your episodes? Yeah, so I I wanted to go out there and just hear other people's stories. Yeah. Um I know that my scope and my sphere is limited, so I really wanted to bring other people in from various different perspectives and have them come on and tell their stories and talk about how they're impacting change in the world, right? Because that's the whole foundation of that podcast is to talk talk to people, talk to leaders who are driving performance, leading change, um, and building these great teams. So that was it. There's nothing yeah. more to it hey. than that. I just enjoy talking with people. Um, that creates sustainability. You know, when you're doing it for those reasons, it's a lot easier yeah. to keep keep showing up and having those conversations because you're not worried about all the the vanity metrics or downloads or, or the, you know, the sales that might be coming through it, as long as you're learning and that's going to help at the very least one person learn something, yeah. that's a win. And it really helped me stay grounded. You know, it yeah. helps me to stay grounded with what other people are, their challenges are, what they're dealing with, how they're trying to navigate this, uh, this startup, you know, space, this founder space, or even those seasoned executives, you know, that have been around for a while doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. Good. So, well, selfishly as a fellow podcaster, and I'm sure there's other people listening that are either thinking about starting a podcast or already have one that they, they host. How do you prepare for each episode and and engage your guests? And what do you aim to achieve? What's like, Hey, if this is a, it's a good conversation, what does that look like? What's the win? Yeah. So for me, I don't, I don't like to do a lot of prep work. Yeah. Uh, frankly, I kind of just yeah, like to bring it because I want it to be organic and, um, you know, emergent. Yeah. So I'll do a little background just to make sure there's not some weirdo on the show, right? I mean, yeah. you have to. Um, yeah, I got to vet things. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, I, so good on your end. Yeah, <laughs> didn't make a mistake here. <laughs> yeah, I like to bring out kind of those nuggets. You know, we have genius all around us, and yeah. I don't know who said it, but somebody said that, and I latched onto that. And we really do. There's people out there that have incredibly compelling and intelligent and. Um, insightful thoughts, stories, experiences that that are there, but a lot of times they don't get to talk about them. So that's what I try to do. I try to bring out that genius. I try to bring out that expertise and kind of see the world from a different perspective. Because sometimes we're just so myopic in our view of what leadership is. Um, upcoming, I think next week, I've got a mom scheduled, right? So we talk about leadership and people are talking about leadership. They think CEO 
you know, some general in the military or something else. No, I'm going to have a mom come on the show and she's going to talk all about being a mom. And it. it's an incredibly impactful story of leadership. Um, so that's the kind of genius that I want to bring out. Um, she's having a lead on a daily basis, oh, doing yeah. things that some of us never even consider. Yeah. Some of those stories, I guarantee it, and I haven't recorded it yet, but they're yeah. going to be immediately applicable to us in our workspaces. So I, I enjoy it more. It's the most fundamental example of leadership is being a parent. Yeah. And we all we all go through it to, to one level or another, whether it's yeah. good leadership or not. So I love that. Oh, I'll be definitely be tuning into that episode. So Jared, this is a podcast about entrepreneurship, but one of the biggest hurdles that that most people in general, but certainly most successful entrepreneurs face at one time or another is living a well-rounded life and doing the things that that bring us joy with the people that we care about most. So I always ask, what what does living a well-rounded life look like for you? I think for me, it's about um, ensuring that I have margin. Mm. And this topic comes up a lot with some of the executive uh, coaching clients that I have. Is that margin to you know, have some space, have some buffer area, not only financially, but time-wise, yeah. energy-wise, um, you know, socially, if you're a religious person on, on the spiritual side with food, diet, exercise, like yeah, everywhere, margin is everywhere. And when people get burnt out and leaders get to the point where they're leadership fatigued or they're fatigued, oftentimes it's because they don't have that margin because they haven't built it in. So it's important to man- for me, at least, to manage my time, to work in, you know, instead of instead of setting up meetings back to back to back, work in a 10-minute buffer, a 15-minute buffer, even a half an hour, right? Yeah, ideally. Um, so those things are important. Obviously, sleep, diet, exercise, blood flow, right? Those mm-hmm. all, all those things are important. But drink a lot of water, too. Water's yeah, water. yeah, get kinda, your water. Kind of random, but... That's been a new thing for me this year is really, really focusing on, on water and tracking it. Because like yeah. you think... You think you drink a lot of water, and but you don't until you really pay attention to how many ounces and trying to hit that 100-ounce mark per day or whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. You're going to feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I can attest to that. So yeah. you mentioned just like creating buffer in your schedule um, on your calendar, but are there other things that you personally do to ensure that you're creating that margin and especially in business, aligning you know your business with the lifestyle and freedom that you want to have? Yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, another thing that I do is time blocking. So mm-hmm. I know that my energy is really good in the morning before anybody else is up. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll come up, I'll get up in the morning, I'll come right into my office, I work from home. And I will bang out those two or three things that I absolutely have to get done. Yeah. Um, and then for the rest of the day, I'm still working. But it doesn't require that level of focus, you know, because the the gardeners here, the, you know, the phones ring in or everybody else is up. So I'm getting all these emails. Right. So for me, it's, it's just taking that time to get those critical tasks done in an environment that I, that I can focus. And then those, those tasks that aren't so critical that I can deal with delays or I can, you know, work a little bit today, work a, a little bit tomorrow, a little bit the next day, I'll save those tasks um, to a time where my energy is more appropriate. So managing yeah. my energy. There's a, there's a reason why so many people recommend that very method, you know, starting with the first two or three things that are most critical, getting those done, everything else is really just secondary at that point. You've already won the day. And for me, right. my energy is certainly in the morning. So that's what I prescribe to is, is getting that stuff done before most people are even awake and bombarding me with emails and slacks and all the other things that yeah. 
that will distract and take your take your energy away and eat into those margins. So right. mm-hmm. part of you know the focus here is, is looking at entrepreneurship through the lens of being an adventure. And in every great adventure story, there's a guide or a mentor, a Gandalf, if you will, who leads the hero down the path to reaching their their ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Are there any mentors or, or just influential people that stand out in your life and come to mind that have really sh- helped shape who you are today and, and helped you become the adventurous entrepreneur that you are? Yeah. I Yeah. I've got two kind of random, but yeah. my, my band teacher. Your so band teacher. Playing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Tell me so more. In, in high school, I played trombone. Cool. Um, but he was an absolute um, supportive perfectionist that would push. So under him, um, and it's kind of, it feels kind of crazy because it's like a high school band story, but uh, <laughs> he, he, he would push me to, to be excellent, exceptional. And with everybody else, you know, you got 30, 40, 50 instruments playing at the same time. If I missed something, he would call me on it and he would hear it. He was, he was just that good. And if there's any musicians in your, in your uh, listenership, I mean, they'll get it, especially if they're directors and whatnot. Um, but that was the first one because it, because there was accountability and because he paid attention um, and he was engaged. So the second one would have been uh, a gunnery sergeant that I had in Marine Corps. So this guy was the hardest dude. Like he was a combat veteran. He had been in multiple campaigns um, and he would, he would line us all up at the beginning of the day. We would do physical, physical training. Typically that involved for him anywhere from a four to six mile run. Cause he was a runner. But he would park, he had this stupid little red truck and he would drive up and we're all ready to go. You know, it's freezing or it's super hot and yeah. it's, you know, five o'clock in the morning and he would park like all the way across the field in his truck and he would just take off and we would have to catch up. So we would be gassed from like second one. Damn. There was one time where he took us, it was over at Camp Lejeune, he would take us out to the you know, where the water meets the land, it's kind of like marshy. And if you don't know that area, they have alligators over there. Like it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> but he would take us into this area and we would go running in this muddy, they call it the littoral area. So we'd go yeah. into this area where the water meets the 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 land. It's like real stinky, just decomposing yeah. organic matter. Marshy. And he'd take yeah. us into these tunnels and we'd pop up these manholes, you know. But that guy taught me a lesson because all the all the while he was running with a bunch of hernias and nobody knew it until he was out he was out for a long time but what he taught me is that there's a level of excellence and and drive and motivation that has to occur if you're going to do your job and he took his job very seriously and the team that he led he would not let us fail so that was the takeaways not only did he prepare us but he set that bar really high and then he pushed us really hard right so when you look at when you look at those two leaders, the band director and this gunnery sergeant, they the two the commonalities there is they set an expectation, they held you accountable, they pushed you really hard, and they expected excellence. Man, thanks for sharing that. Two two great mentors, and certainly sounds like helped shape the the exceptional man you've become today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I, I queued this up, but I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick which one you'd like to answer or both if you so desire or combine them, take it however you want. But okay. what's a, what's a favorite place that you visited maybe in the last five years could be any time 
or a recent adventure that you went on. Could be in your own backyard, something you've done with friends, family, solo. But in either case, you know, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Perhaps a lesson learned, a favorite meal or drink you had. Give us a story. Yeah. So I, I had the opportunity. I was up in Canada fishing with a with a client. And okay. uh, we I was sitting on a lake. I called my dad to wish him a happy birthday. And he's like, oh, you're up in Canada. I've always wanted to go on a float plane trip up in Canada. And, you know, he's in his seventies now. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can do that. Um, I don't know. You know, you're getting older and your health and all these yeah. things, but so a couple fast forward a couple of weeks and I got an opportunity of a lifetime. I had a, a former client, a good buddy of mine now that said, Hey, I've got this trip going up to just South of the Northern Ter territory in Canada to go fishing after some monster pike. And yeah, he's like, I've got two spots. Do you want them? And, you know, rewind yeah. two weeks ago when my father just said, <laughs> I mean, perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we ended up doing that. We jumped on an airplane, flew to Canada. Um, it was a quick turn. Like three days later, we had to be there because these were wow. like, you know, first come first serve. So we ended going up all the way up just south of the Northern Territory. And if you fly up there, there's nothing. up there. There's, yeah. there's nothing up there. You are alone. Um, but we pulled in an old school bus into this lodge and from the lodge, you know, they had, they had planes that went out, they had boats that went out. Um, and we caught some, some pretty big pike, 45 inch pike, um, several in a row in the same day. Dang. So our guide that took us out was just incredible. And then what we would do at the beginning of the day is we'd catch lunch. So mm -hmm. that first fish, that walleye or that pike that we would catch, they'd yeah. save it. And then we'd pull up shore. He'd build a fire, do a lunch, potatoes, corn, you know, with the fish. Like, yeah, it was phenomenal. That's good. And then I was able to get my dad on that float plane. Um, and we went out and just smashed pike for, for a whole day. So that is the most memorable time that I've had, not only because I can make one of his bucket list items come true, but because the experience just being up there in the middle of nowhere, where it's just bears and trees and water <laughs> is like incredible. So and monster pike. And monster pike. Like they'll eat oh, you. If you I love <laughs> it. What a, what a cool experience to be able to share with your dad and make that bucket list dream happen. That's amazing. Cool. All right, man. Well, as we wrap up, do you have any ask, challenge, parting advice, final thoughts you'd like to share with the people listening? No, I would just say you're you're capable. You know, wherever you're at, you're capable. Go get it. Um, don't stop till you do. You're going to figure that out along the way. Trying to go from point A to point B and you don't land at B, but you land at point A, point five. That's okay. You've made yeah, progress. Progress. So just keep pushing. Yep. Couldn't That's agree it. more. Yeah, you are all, all capable. Everybody listening, just don't give up. Keep going. Mm -hmm. You only lose when you quit. So That's right. like Jared said, you'll get one step further along each day that you show up. Yep. Where can people connect with you, man? For, for people who are feeling inspired by this conversation, where can they learn more about you, your philosophy, your work, socials, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. So you can reach out to me at SinclairPerformance.com. We currently have some freebies on there um, for y'all. If you're interested, SinclairPerformance.com slash resources. At the bottom there, we have these strat decks. It's basically a deck of cards that offers strategies for, for teams to, to kind of work through some of these challenges that they have. I think I have three of the colors available, three of the decks available. So Hell if yeah. you click on that link, sign up, uh, you can have access to those unlimited. So check that out. Um, if you're in the dental space, PerformanceDDS.com uh, is our website for that. And then I'd love to connect with whoever, uh, would like to connect on LinkedIn. You could find me at Jared Sinclair. Awesome. And we'll drop links to everything in the show notes and thanks for the freebies. We'll definitely link out to those as well. So 
Jared, appreciate you joining me, man. This has been a, an awesome conversation. I'll definitely be following along and connecting with you and wish you all the best in, in everything that you're doing. So yeah. thanks for being here. Awesome, TJ. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. Great conversation. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.